We're going to be in John's Gospel this morning in chapter 5. We're going to kick off a sermon series that we're calling Awakening because we believe that we need an awakening. We believe that there are some spiritual things that need to happen in our lives, in our community, and in the world, and that God is doing something. And he's waiting for people like you and I to wake up and to get on board. And so I, uh, man, I'm excited about this series. We've been talking about it and, and praying about it and believe that it's just what uh, we need to do right along with our 21 days of prayer and fasting and, and our prayer cards. And, and today I kind of want to unpack a little bit about why we chose awakening and, and how we got to that word and, and what we're believing for. And we're going to find that in, in John chapter 5. We're going to read verses 1 through 5. And I like to stand for the reading of God's word, so if you don't mind stretching one more time and stand as we honor the reading of God's word this morning. It starts in John chapter 5 verse 1, it says, After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool, which is called in Hebrew Bethesda, having five porches. And these lay a great multitude of sick uh, sick people, blind, lame, paralyzed, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down at a certain time into the pool and stirred up the water. Then whoever stepped in first, after the stirring of the water, was made well of whatever disease he had. Now a certain man was there who had an infirmity 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been in that condition a long time, he said to him, do you want to be made well? It's just like Jesus to ask obvious questions, isn't it? The sick man answered him and said, Sir, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up, but while I am coming, another one steps down before me. And verse 8 says, Jesus said to him, Rise, take up your bed, and walk. And immediately the man was made well, took up his bed, and walked, and that day was the Sabbath. Father, we ask that you would add to your word that you would confirm it this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Go ahead and uh, take your seat again. We're going to get a little spiritual calisthenics this morning as we go up and down, up and down. But I'd rather be part of an up and down church than just a down church, right? I love this story. I've gotten the opportunity to go to Israel three times now, and every time I go, I sneak to this, this area. They've actually excavated an area uh, that they believe is the, the Pool of Bethesda spot. And it is in the Muslim quarter uh, by the Sheep Gate. There's a church there called Queen Anne's, and it is just a gorgeous spot. You can see where five colonnades were. You can see where the pools were. And actually, they're just excavating even more to, to the street to find out that the pools were actually much larger than they originally anticipated. So it is a real site. This is a real place in history. It's not just a story in the Bible. I've actually put my eyes on it. And before we jump in, I do have to say thank you to uh, Jim Elliott and everybody else that came and, and what gave my kids what they're calling their second Christmas. Uh, some Dayspring families got together and and surprised us with a lot of gifts for the kids. Uh, I'd like to thank you for all of those parts that came with those gifts too. Uh, all of those game pieces that we've stepped on and vacuumed up already. I appreciate that. Um, but I'd like to say thank you for him. I had some pictures. I forgot to text them. But when they walked in, their jaws hit the floor. And, and you know, they made quick order of opening those things up. So they feel welcome. Uh, we appreciate that and the gifts that we received as well. So thank you, Dayspring for that. You guys are such a kind church, and we're 
honor to be here. So let me get back to the text now. I forgot to put that at the beginning. So this is an actual spot. There's really pools. This is a real place. Uh, that, that it's not just a story that somebody thought of to put into the Bible. This, this is a real place where, where this really happened. And actually, there are springs that they have found underneath the, the pools. The springs are closed up because, like, archaeology builds one on top of the other. And so actually, through Jerusalem, underneath, it's, it's, in, a, it's in a mountainous area, there are springs all over that go underneath uh, underneath Jerusalem and in the old city area. And there are actually some springs that, w- that they found that come right into where those pools are located. And it would be a natural spring that uh, occurred there. And some people believe that, uh, and let's see, who wrote about it? Uh, Josephus wrote about uh, that an earthquake happened. And in Jewish tradition, when an earthquake happens, it is an angel descending onto the place. That's what happens when an earthquake happens. Now, that's Jewish tradition. I don't know if that's true or not, but it happened in this area in uh, the time of in Jerusalem before the time of Jesus. And so there could have been an angel that descended in this place and stirred these waters until the time of Jesus because it didn't happen again after Jesus left uh, this place. That, that pool was no longer used this way. There's also in that area some natural springs that have natural healing tendencies. And so... Uh, they think that maybe when the springs kind of raged up a little bit after a rain or in a season, that it stirred the waters up and people jumped in and, and they got healed. But it says healed of whatever disease that they had. Now look, I don't know much about essential oils. But I know that there, if, if sage or peppermint cleared blindness, that would be pretty phenomenal. But this says that whatever disease they had, they were healed of. Now I know that cloves and oregano do a lot of cool things. But I've never seen it heal whatever disease you had. And so you have to believe that there was maybe some supernatural tendencies uh, in these waters. So let's look at the setting. It says that Jesus is going to Jerusalem because of a feast. There are three feasts that all good Jewish men or boys attended. Uh, and that was Passover, that was uh, Pentecost, and that was the Feast of Tabernacles. Now, uh, the writer of John, or John himself, doesn't indicate which feast it is because I think he knew that if we knew which feast it was, we would put supernatural tendencies to the feast instead of supernatural tendencies to the Savior. And so it just says that a feast. This tells me that anytime you eat, something supernatural happens. That's why we pray, Lord, let it be a nourishment to our bodies. It takes all those calories and just turns it right back around on them. So there's a feast at the time in Jerusalem, and Jesus is going through the sheep gate. It's not unnatural for him to go through the sheep gate because the way that they came would have taken him in that direction. And so he comes into the sheep gate. And usually when you go into Jerusalem at the time of a feast, it's very specific that you're going to Jerusalem to go to the temple, to the house of God. But Jesus doesn't go to the house of God. He goes to a place called Bethesda, which in Hebrew means the house of mercy. Aren't you glad that we have a Savior that goes to the house of mercy more than he goes to any other house first? Now, he does go to the house of God, but maybe it should tell us that the house of God should also be a house of mercy. Uh, where sick people are, are healed, where blind people can see, where paralyzed people can walk. I think Jesus is giving us a picture of what his church should look like. That his house should be a house of prayer, it should be a house of mercy, and there better be miracles that take place in that area. He goes into the house of mercy and he's going into this place where there are five colonies. It just means that there are five large Roman porched areas. 
And it says that there are a lot of sick people there. Uh, misery loves company, doesn't it? And he goes in and he sees uh, all of these sick people laying around. And Jesus' reputation was already kind of getting going at this time. He had been to Judea and to the wilderness. He had been back up to Nazareth. He had been in the Galilee area. He had been in Jerusalem. His renown and who he was 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 popping pretty good at this time. So it wasn't like when Jesus walked in, nobody else knew that it was Jesus. Everybody would have known that this is Jesus that has just walked in. And it says that Jesus goes into this place, and for some reason, he picks out this guy right here. It doesn't even give us his name. It just says that a certain man he noticed. A certain man is who he noticed. It says, though, that this guy had some other qualifications to catch Jesus' attention. That this guy had been battling an infirmity for 38 years. Now, the writer tells us that, but what got Jesus' attention was that he had been down in this condition for a considerable amount of time. That this guy had been on this mat in this particular area for a long, long time. And Jesus moses on up to this guy. And says, hey, do you want to be made well? Now, if I'm this guy and Jesus is asking me this question, I'm thinking, what are you talking about do I want to be made well? I'm sitting on the same mat in the same clothes for 38 years waiting for that stupid water. Can I say stupid here? <laughs> uh, oh, i got to be careful for that silly water to be stirred up. What do you think I'm doing here, playing Yahtzee? You think I'm here for the scrabble and the company? You think I like that guy over there who's got the same infirmity I do or, or the other guy over there? What do you mean do you want to be made well? Could you imagine getting asked that by Jesus? And I would submit to you today that you and I probably get asked similar questions by Jesus and have similar responses that this man here has. See, Jesus walks up to this guy and he says, Hey, do you want to be made well? And this guy immediately begins to identify with his situation before he identifies with who's asking the question. Now, I don't know about you, but if I've been doing something the same way for 38 years, 38 years, it's not just what I do anymore, but it becomes who I am at that point. See, I'm not just a sick man here, but I'm that sick man on that mat in that place that can't ever make it to that water. I'm not just a certain person. I'm that person. It becomes my way of life. And it becomes my identity. Uh, it becomes the way in which I frame my worldview or my life around. Instead of looking at it through the word that is standing in front of me. I begin to look at it from the mat and the position that I'm sitting on. Can you relate with that this morning? That sometimes we get so caught up in our situation in life that we forget to look at the savior of our life. Do you know how they train an elephant for the circus? You see, an elephant is a big, big animal, but you can manipulate an elephant to believe that even though it's this ginormous animal, that it cannot break a little string. And how they manipulate the mind of an elephant is when the elephant is young, they tie a big chain to its leg and, and put a stake in the ground. So every time the elephant feels a little bit of tension, he registers pain with the tension and stops moving. 
And they do that over and over and over again. So when the elephant actually grows up, they can tie a piece of thread to the elephant, attach it to this, well, probably more than a piece of thread, maybe a rope to the elephant, and attach it to the same stake so that when it feels the tension, it stops moving. This is the biggest tactic of the enemy in our life. It is a manipulation control to think that when we feel pain in our life, that that's as far as that we, that, that's the furthest that we can go. We begin to think just like the elephant. Oh, that chain is still there. That chain is still there. That chain is still there. And Jesus is not asking how comfortable the chain is. He's asking if we want to break the chain. But when Jesus asks this man on this day, do you want to be made well? The man comes up with some pretty good excuses. Well, Jesus, first off and foremost, I don't know if you know this, but I'm paralyzed and can't walk. The second thing is, is that for whatever reason, nobody is around this guy. He doesn't have anybody that can drag him to the water. I mean, I have people in my life that would like to drag me places at least. But he doesn't have anybody that will drag him. Now, what you got to understand is in biblical narrative, it gives you very specific information so that you can understand what the writer is talking about. There's a, another place where there's a man that's blind that Jesus heals, and they ask him, who sinned, this guy or his mom? But, and that, or his family, I just blame the mom for some reason. Maybe I have some issues I need to resolve during this prayer and fasting. But he says, in that text it says, now a man was born blind. There is a specific identifier to tell us when the affirmity happened to the man. That he was born blind. It does not do that in this story right here. It just says that a certain man had an infirmity for 38 years. That means that there is something that happened in this guy's life. A moment in time that happened that allowed him to go from fully functioning to paralyzed and sitting on a mat. And not only paralyzed and sitting on a mat but alone and sitting on a mat. There was something that happened in his life that not only gave him an infirmity, but it also gave him loneliness and rejection for 38 years. So when Jesus is coming to ask this guy, do you want to be made well? His faith level is extremely low at this point. And I would submit to you that his bitterness level was probably very high. I don't think his response was, well, you know, nobody's here to put me in the water. I think his response was, yeah, do I want to be made well? I don't even have anybody here to drag me into the water. It gets stirred up. I'm almost there. I'm crawling. I'm here. I'm there. And some guy with leprosy cannonballs over me. Do I want to be made well? If I had a friend, if I had somebody in my life, if I had some accountability, if I had this, maybe I could be made well. Oh, man, church, I relate to this individual. I relate to him that I look for a process more than I look for a person. That there is something that I've done to put me into this state, so there's something that I must do to get me out of this state. That I, I, I chose this addiction. I, I chose this way of living. I chose to live my relationships that way. So because I chose that, I got to deal with God's punishment until I work my way out of it. I'm looking at a process more than I'm looking for a person. And Jesus wasn't asking, hey, what's the process to be made well? Jesus was asking, do you want to be made well? 
And look, the guy gave him all of the excuses, and Jesus ignored him. He didn't reason with them. He didn't debate them. He didn't talk about how it is the, the, still the appropriate time in which healings happen. He, he ignored all of that. This shows me that no matter the condition of my heart, no matter the condition of my life, and no matter the time I've been in that condition, Jesus will still come and get me. Look, there's some folks in the room today that even being in this room makes you feel uncomfortable. That, that we, we're, we're, we're locked into a, an addiction, we're locked into a loneliness, into a bitterness. There's been a mistake that we made, and we feel like God is just so mad at us that, that maybe if we work our way back into his good graces, that maybe if we just try hard enough, that, that maybe God will be merciful on us and, and forget everything that we've done. And God's saying, look, I don't care what you've done 38 years ago. Just don't let what was done 38 years ago stop you from seeing who I am right Right here, right now, in this moment today. We can do better than that. Okay. I don't want, I don't want a 38-year decision, a 38-year mistake, a 38-year rejection, a 38-year bitterness stop me from walking in the fullness of God's grace and His mercy and His truth and His power right now today. But this guy was going back and thinking about it, 38 years. That's a long time. Now some of you are towards the northern end of your life and you feel like that's not really a long time. But 38 years is a long time. It's 38 years of a long time of sitting on the same mat. Somebody else came in, they got a brand new mat. I'm not appreciative of their new, they got a yoga mat. They got a mat with some squishies on the bottom. I mean, my mat is just on the rock. Not even the good rock, the uncomfortable rock. 38 years, Jesus asked, do you want to be made well? The man alone in this bitterness, alone in this time, alone in this rejection. Watching other people get their healing. Comparing why they got it and not him. They don't even live the, the right way. They haven't been here 38 years going to this, listening to all of the worship services. But they get their healing, and I didn't get my healing. Oh, they got to meet their, their time. The angel stood, stirred the water, and Jesus is saying, I don't want to stir the water. Because I am the living water. I don't got to stir what I am. I just want to call you to something different. He says, do you want to be made well? And the man brings a lot of excuses. I love excuses. In fact, I use excuses a lot. In fact, I don't have a truck anymore because I got tired of helping people move. I'm just going to be honest. And I'm thankful that Marshall has a truck because he had to help me move. But I, I'm, not, I'm not one that believes that that's seed time and harvest. That is just, that is just the, the death of me. I have a truck and I put a bed cover on it. Just, oh, I got a bed cover on mine. I can't help you move. I'm sorry. And that didn't work, I just gave it away. I don't even want this anymore. You can have it. Help yourself move. Here, have my truck. Okay. <laughs> the most dangerous excuses are the excuses that we bring into the house of God. Or the excuses that keep us from the grace of God and the healing that Jesus offers. We let things in our life condition us to a, a way of living spiritually 
similar to the elephant that is conditioned to not break away from the rope even though he can. We have all of the tools to walk out in freedom, to walk out in wholeness, to walk out in healing, and yet still we are comfortable with the tension of our past to keep us locked into the conditioned living of our now to rob us of the future that God has for us. And I think that there is an awakening that is taking place to the string that is holding us back. That we are going to expose every lie, every attack, every manipulation of the enemy that has been holding us back, that has been locking our framework in to think maybe it's not God's will or maybe God doesn't move that way anymore and to remind us that the word of God is clear when it says that he is the same yesterday, he is the same today, and he is the same forever. And if the word of God says it, that's what I'm going to hold on to. This is what Jesus says to the guy. After all the excuses, he'd be like, I don't, I don't want to help you move. I don't have a truck. Jesus would say to me, you got a semi. You can help me move. He'd like, I don't know how to drive a semi. Try it. It's kind of what it was. It was all of these excuses, and Jesus says, I was reading one commentary that said, with compassion, Jesus looked on the guy and said, rise, take up your bed and walk. But I think I like to look at Jesus kind of more like, okay, whatever, shut up, rise, take up your bed and walk. You know, kind of like, like, okay, I'm done with your excuses. Just get moving. What are we waiting on? I asked you a question. You gave me an excuse. Now I'm going to give you an answer. Don't you love that Jesus didn't even give him the response that his excuse demanded? See, the excuse demanded maybe some pity. The excuse demanded maybe a cup of tea and a conversation. Jesus was not there to have a conversation. Jesus was there to do a work. He says, do you want to be made healed? He gives all these excuses. And Jesus says, rise, take up your bed, and walk. And it says, immediately. It doesn't say progressively. It doesn't say the next day. It says immediately. The men felt something different. And by golly, he rose, he took up his bed, and he walked. Now that word rise that Jesus used wasn't just the simple phrase, would you please get up off of your mat? No, the word that Jesus used was the same word that is used when it says that Jesus rose on the third day. It's the same word that is saying that it is a new work that is happening in the body. In fact, the other word that they attribute this to is the word awaken. What Jesus is saying is, you've been asleep for 38 years. You've been lied to for 38 years. You've been manipulated for 38 years. You've been sitting in your isolation for 38 years. You've been walking in your own bitterness for 38 years. I'm telling you to stop being asleep spiritually and to waken up. And it says immediately, he woke up, picked up his mat, and he walked. Could you imagine? All the other sick people in that area. Hey, I'm over here. I'm easy. I'm just blind. <laughs> He's like, I didn't come for you today. This guy, 38 years, sitting on a mat, rolls it up and walks. And then it gives us a very specific word that it ends on. And this day was the day of the Sabbath. 
This is not the day that you're supposed to get healed. Everybody knows in Jewish culture and tradition that an angel would dare not stir the water on the Sabbath day because that would require you to put some exercise in on the Sabbath day to maybe go get your healing. And Jesus is saying, look, you got to take up your bed and walk. This wasn't just an easy decision for this Jewish man. This was a decision to not only walk in this healing that he had, but to break what was passed down as a commandment from the Pharisees that you're not supposed to work on the Sabbath day. It would have been easy for this man to say, look, I feel good in my knees. Like, I feel comfortable. I'm confident that you heal me, Jesus. But it's the Sabbath. You asked me to carry my mat, and according to Leviticus, I can't carry my mat today. That's what your word says. I can't pick it up. That would be work. The guy didn't do that, though, did he? No, he rolled it up, put it under his arm, and just walked on out of there. He was ready. He's like, look, I'm walking today, but I'm not running any marathons, Jesus. And he says that he walks to the temple, and the Pharisees were sitting there like, oh, who is this man? Like they recognized him. They recognized him by his mat, and they recognized him for 38 years because they would go and have pity and conversation with him. And they said, hey, you with the mat, why are you working today? He said, somebody else told me to pick it up and walk. I didn't have time to debate them. I just picked it up and I walked. Like, hey, hey, you're breaking the rules. This is not the time. This is not the place. This is not the season. God doesn't move that way. And this guy was like, hey, tell it to the mat. Huh? God doesn't move that way. Look at my mat. I got a mat here. What are you carrying? Some 30 pieces of silver? You Judas? No, he didn't say that. I love the part of the story that what kept him in isolation and kept him comfortable for 38 years was the thing that he carried to become the testimony about his future. See, just because something has happened in your life, just because there's been a moment or a circumstance, maybe it was a divorce, something you thought sidelined you from, from God's best for your life, he's saying, roll that bad boy up, put it under your arm, and carry it around like a testimony. Be like, look, I was at the pool for 38 years. I was sitting over there with my friends. They weren't really my friends because they beat me to the water. But today I'm carrying my mat. My mat was rejection. My mat was loneliness. My mat was a respiratory infection or a blood disease. See, my mat was a, a divorce that happened in my life, or my mat was a, a, a tearing apart of my family. No, my mat was, was cancer that I was given a long time ago. My mat was degenerative eye failure. This is my mat. Jesus saying, pick up that mat and let's carry it on out of here. And there will be people in your life like the Pharisees that say, wait a minute. Wait a minute. What do you think you're doing? Say, I'm carrying my mat. Because I stopped looking for a process. Start looking for a person. There is nothing more than receiving Jesus that you can do. See, God's not mad at you. God's mad about you. He said, awaken, take up your bed, and walk. I want you to see that Jesus didn't touch the man. He didn't spit in the sand and put it on his eyes. He spoke a word. The word carried the power of the promise. The word was the vehicle for the power to hit the man. Rise, take up your bed, and walk. 
What is your word from, from God in 2020? What is the word that you're believing for on your family? What's the word you're believing for in your business or your career? What's the word you're believing for in your marriage? What's the word that we're believing for in this church? What's the word that we're believing for our kids? The power, the word is the vehicle of the power. Let's see what he did to this man. With rise, take up your bed and walk. When he awakened this man, the first thing was that the disease was gone. No more excuses. As soon as Jesus said, rise, take up your bed and walk, everything that had held this man infirmed for 38 years was made right in his body and in his mind. Everything that the enemy had locked in on, all of the momentum the enemy had, all of the excuses that the man could muster, and one word from Jesus was gone after 38 years. It means that what the enemy has worked on your life for a lifetime, God can move in a moment. That what the enemy has locked you in for 38 years, for 12 years, for 30 minutes, the word of God can move it in a moment to be broken in the name of Jesus. You think you got a generational curse? Let's break it. You think you got some sickness? Let's do something about it. Let's get the word of God in and through our lives. The disease was gone. The next thing was the body was restored. You know what this guy's career was for 38 years? He sat there. And probably begged 38 years. He had a decision to make at that moment that if I get up and walk, I'm walking away from something that I'm used to. I'm walking away from something that I'm familiar with. And it doesn't say that the man limped away. No. It says that he walked away. And I think he probably strutted away. Because if you don't got something and you got something, you tell everybody about it, don't you? Let me introduce you to my kids at Christmas. They don't have a drone. They get a drone. They're telling everybody about it. They, they got second Christmas from Dayspring Church. What did they tell their cousins? We got second Christmas. You didn't. What did their cousins say? Oh, I knew I would never get second Christmas. What happens when, when we are, are expecting one thing and Jesus shows up another thing? We don't just walk like we're scared. We walk with a new boldness, a new confidence. We walk into a new normal. But the most exciting thing for me in this story is that the man had a different future from that moment forward. The man was no longer a certain man on a mat for 38 years that had to beg and hope somebody would put him in to the water when it stirred, that maybe God would just maybe move on his behalf. This man was a man that could look into his future and knew that God was in control, the devil was a liar, and Jesus was on the throne. This was a man that knew that God was on his side. He was awakened to something different. He could not live like he used to live because he had to live with a different purpose, a different perspective, and under a different power. This is what God is calling Dayspring Church to. It's not what we did yesterday. It's not what we did last season. It's what God has awakened today and what God is going to do in the next season. That you and I and us together, that we is better than me and that we can go out and conquer the world for Jesus Christ. That there is a charge to be kept in our area. That Bowling Green is not going to be lost because we're in it. That we are a city on a hill. That a day spring from on high has appeared. And that those walking in darkness don't have to walk in darkness anymore. Why? Because we have been awakened. 